Hi, guys. Before we start the episode, check out my upcoming tour dates at jessicakerson.com. You can follow me personally at Jesse Kerson on Instagram and Jessica Kerson on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Relatively Sane Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And join our discussion group on Facebook at Relatively Sane Podcast. And if you're listening and you love the podcast, which I know you will, please give us a five-star rating and review telling us what you love about it. Thank you so much for your support. You guys are the best. Hi, guys. Welcome to Relatively Sane with me, Jessica Kerson. Should I say welcome to Relatively Sane? That sounds weird. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just really trying not to judge myself anymore, but it's not easy. I've been doing a lot of work on myself lately. I've uh, been going to a lot of therapy. I've been dealing with addiction stuff. Uh, I have not been working out because I am incredibly lazy. It's incre- I've talked about this on podcasts so many times, but I have a gym downstairs in my building. It's not, I don't even have to leave the building and get into the car and go somewhere. I have a gym downstairs. I only have to walk to the elevator that will take me right to the gym. And I literally can go on the treadmill and just walk slow. It's not a big deal, but it's so hard for me to do things that are good for me. And I know a lot of you relate to this. You know those people who are constantly in workout clothes and they can't wait to get to the gym and they don't even listen to anything. I'm telling you, when I go on the treadmill, I'm listening to music, I'm watching the TV, I'm watching the TV on the treadmill, I'm watching the TV above me on the wall. I, a lot of times, will talk to people. I'm texting, I'm Googling. I mean, I have to do 50 things while I'm working out because I hate it so much. I I hate it. And I was an athlete growing up. A lot of you probably don't know this, but I played sports my entire life. I actually played Little League. I sucked at it, but I was like a boy, and I wanted to be with the boys. I played soccer. I was an incredible tennis player. In high school, I played tennis, lacrosse, and volleyball. And I think sports really helped me not be depressed. I just was so into sports, and I would just not think about my problems a lot. And then I found pot and alcohol and other drugs, and that was a lot better than playing lacrosse. I mean... If you have to compare playing lacrosse to a bong hit, let's be real. A bong hit is much better. I mean, it just works right away. The problem is I would do 72 of them and then try to do homework. It's just hard for me. I, you know, I used to do this thing where I put up post-it notes and it would say, go to the gym, pray, breathe today. It sounds so corny, but I I have to start doing that again so that I remember because the whole day will go by and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't go to the gym or I didn't meditate or I meditating is really hard. I've talked about this before, but it is really hard for me. I can't listen to those voices. I'm going to have to do it on my own and just go in a quiet space and try to breathe and I don't know. Maybe I'll masturbate. I, I can't even. I don't. I'm too tired to masturbate. The only time I masturbate is to nap. I've said this so many times. And people think I'm saying it to be funny. I'm really not. 
it's just and it's very quick because I feel like I don't deserve pleasure. So I don't you know, I do a joke about this on stage, but I don't do a whole thing where I light candles and really nurture myself. When people tell me to do that shit, I'm like, okay, no, I just get out the jackhammer, get it done and nap. That's what I do. It's aggressive. It's fast. And it's all I feel like I deserve. Maybe one day. Maybe I'll even get fresh cut flowers and put them in the fucking bedroom with oils and really take care of myself. But at this point, it's just, it's really, it's dangerous how aggressive it is. I'm surprised I can even feel my vagina at this point. I really hope no one's listening that's under nine. If you're nine and you're listening to this, you're old enough to hear this. I'm jo- I'm joking. Whatever. I, I don't even know what's going on anymore. I, I, I honestly, all I want right now, because it's it's the morning, and all I want right now is an egg white omelet. I want an egg white omelet. I want an omelet station next to me right now. And I just want to pick what I want in it. Let's talk about what uh, I know. You guys... You're listening, so we can't talk. I forgot this is a podcast. I just said, let's talk about this. You can't even respond to me. But if I had an omelet station in front of me, let me tell you what I would put in it. Onions, tomatoes, mushrooms, spinach. I don't know. Spinach sometimes tastes like tuna to me. Isn't that weird? Spinach tastes fishy. I don't know what that is. Maybe because it was always rotten in my house. Everything was rotten in my house when I was growing up. My mother would give me milk and it would be like heavy cream. It would be like cottage cheese. And she'd be like, it's fine. You can have it. It's still good. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not good. It's cream cheese. I'm eating cream. I'm drinking cream cheese in my cereal right now. Literally. She would give me deli meats and they had like fern on them like a a fern plant with a pot it would and then I'd bring that to school and I could never share with anyone who who was going to take my fucking tongue sandwich she gave me tongue I mean you wonder why I have problems I ate rotten tongue for lunch and everyone else had peanut butter and jelly tuna roasted turkey I had rotten tongue, the juice of mustard with like bad rye bread. That's that's what I would eat. No wonder why I got so fat. I literally used to rob my friends' houses when I would go there. I'd put on like a stocking on my head and tiptoe downstairs while everyone was sleeping and take like 70 bags of Cheeto. I would take everything from their snack drawer. At one point, I actually apologized to my friend Amy's parents. This is so embarrassing. When I was older, because I felt so guilty. I'm like, I used to rob your snack drawer. I was never allowed. Because also, I grew up with no, like, there was nothing bad. It's not good. Listen to me. If you have kids, you need to have a bakery in your house. You need to have a 7-Eleven. You need to fill it with chips. And I don't care. Give it to them once in a while. Because if you don't let them have it, they will find it. And they will, I, I literally would eat every single bad thing I could find when I wasn't in my house. My mother would hide things, and then she'd forget she hid them. Do you know for Halloween, I could go trick-or-treating for 11 hours, and at some, <laughs> there were some years where she made my sister and I pick out one piece of candy. That is 
abusive. Okay, so I would go from house to house all day and night. I would pick out the biggest piece of candy, even if it was shit covered in chocolate with a syringe hanging out of it. I would eat it because it was the biggest thing in there. I mean, it, it didn't even matter if I liked it or not. And then she would hide, this is totally true, she would hide my garbage bag because it wasn't even like a little pumpkin. or so. I, I would fill a hefty bag of candy because I would take seven pieces from the house. and I, I would take the whole basket. I would take their dog and try to eat it. And then she would hide it in the kitchen in a cabinet and forget that she hid it. This is completely 100%. So I would eat every single piece of candy. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's caramel in my throat. I would eat every piece of candy in that thing, and she would never even know. Over months, I would eat all the candy. So it didn't even make sense. Oh, God, life is not easy. You know, I have an incredible guest today. This is really exciting for me. I probably shouldn't have talked about abortion. Oh, my God, I almost just, I just said abortion. Okay, you can take that part out. Please edit out that I just said abortion. But I have been talking about masturbation and some dirty things, and I'm having a guest on today who is a clean comic, which is so much harder. It's very hard to be a brilliant, clean comic, and he's done it. I'm so excited for my guest today. It's Jim Gaffigan. He has been, oh my God, someone I've looked up to for so many years. He is so funny. And besides just being so funny, he's an incredible business person. He really is. I mean, to make it like this, the way he has in this business is incredibly rare. He has 82 children and an incredible wife. I love Jeannie. I love his wife. And I've become friends with them. And he balances it all. I mean, we're going to find out how he does it. But he's able to balance all of it. He also loves food like I do. And he loves to sleep. So we have a lot in common. I just can't wait for you to find out more about him. And I'm so grateful he's on the show. Everyone, please welcome Jim Gaffigan. Hi, Jim. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. What's happening? Nothing. You're on my podcast, Relatively Sane. I am... I'm so thrilled to call in, and uh, I don't know why you requested that I be completely naked, but I follow orders. Well, I have always been attracted to you. I I know you probably don't know that, but I've been attracted to you since, oh, I don't know, 1964 when we met. Um, That's right. Well, I think that your attraction is an indication of mental illness. Well, you think (laughs) I deny that? That's a wake-up call right there. You're right. you got to... You got to do something about it. I know. I mean, I I am I'm exclusively with women except when it comes to you. I would definitely I would change and switch and yeah, be, yeah, be I straight. I mean, being attracted to me it's like that's like a half step to bestiality. You know what I mean? That's like <laughs> <laughs> I you know what on both ends. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're attracted to me, it's a half step to bestiality too. Let's just be honest. It's it's uh, it's well, you know, I think you're beautiful. Oh, Jim. And, did you want kids when you were growing? I mean, I'm not. 
I'm sure when you were growing yeah. up, you, you did. No, I mean, I, I did not really, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I had a romantic notion of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a large family, and um, so I associated that with, you know, positive chaos, I guess. Right. My life goal was to live by myself and be accountable to no one. That's exactly how I felt. But that being said, it's like, I, you know, it wouldn't be the first time I wasn't in touch with something that I actually wanted. And stand-up comedy in particular, I think, is, is strange because there is a meritocracy kind of inherently in it. Mm-hmm. But it's part of this larger entertainment industry, which is is kind of like a birthday party run by a drunk lady. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I want that lady. I want that one first. You know what I mean? You're like, but no, we kind of yeah. They they they're not ready yet, and you're like, no, nah, I just like that shirt. You know what I mean? You're like, what? It's like it's utter insanity, and I think at least for me, it's so frustrating because I learn. I learned these lessons over and over again that, oh, that's right. You know, I mean, it's it's also it's reflected in your children, like in the Mm -hmm. pain that they go through. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Even though we uh, at least for me, I articulate it. It's like I uh, some of my frustration with society or something like that. I, I lose touch with some of the emotion of it. So I'll be like, oh, that's right. It's completely unfair. Oh, that's right. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, the beautiful people get invited to the front of the line. You know what I mean? I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I totally understand that. I, I really do. I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm so impressed by how much you balance you know with your career I know this sounds so like people probably say it all the time but I really understand it as a parent you know how you do this I mean I know you take your kids with you a lot don't you like yeah it's but it's like I'm sure it's the same for you you sit there and you know every six months you're like all right well I gotta rebalance this because some of uh, at least for me stand-up is very strange to people that don't do it. They think that, like, we're doing it for different reasons than we are, yes. at least for me. Me too. It's like, it's kind of this strange endorphin thing. You know, it's probably how some people feel after they work out. Mm-hmm. But if I do it too much and then I lose sight of, b- ba- but, like, the balance is an ongoing thing. Ongoing. You know I mean? It's like, yep. yeah, right? It's like, it's, you know, uh, missing, like, my nephew's bar mitzvah it's like do i care no do i do i feel like i should care yes you know what i mean so it's like one of those things where i'm like well i probably should have been there but then again i how i justify it it's like people that are in the military are gone from their families for years on end my wife says that a lot danielle says that she you know i'll say I feel bad because I'm going to be away all week next week. And she's like, Jessica, I mean, people, she always uses that an, as an example. Yeah. And it's true. It really is. I mean, and, and I, ha- I have to work on balance stuff like every week because I can get, I can, yeah. you're like, I'm like you in the way that I can go up 15 times. And I mean, I can really do a ton of stand up and travel a lot and then be like, oh, my God. 
you know, I have no grounding. I feel like I have no grounding right now. Just I need to like go home and be with my kids and eat well and take care of myself. And I'm just, it, it's very hard. It really is. It's so fascinating. So you grew up with five siblings? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, I never knew that. I, I, I can't believe there were six kids. Yeah. I mean, but some, some of it is like, isn't that part of you? It's just probably me, but I'm like, how much do you really remember your childhood? I don't remember that much of it. You I don't remember I mean? anything. Like, I blocked it all out. Because I've been doing stand-up for close to 30 years, and oh. there's been, you know, like you have these pockets of people that you hang out with mm-hmm. that you kind of, you know, you go through like Vietnam with, or you go through like a weekend where you hang around them all weekend mm-hmm. and then 20 years go by. And I'm like, and the, oh God, I kinda, I'm trying to think of where, where it was, but this guy was like, Hey, remember me? And I kind of remembered the face, but I didn't remember anything. <laughs> and the same and, way. And I felt horrible. You know, what's weird also is I'm kind of a goofy looking guy. So walking <laughs> down the street, people will be like, Jim, and I'll look at them, and I don't know if I know them or if they just recognize me. Right. Or if they watch my stand-up with their kid. And I'll be like, so most of the time I'm just like, I just kind of like act like I'm really in a hurry because I don't know what to do. You just you start running down the street. It's just insane. Isn't it weird but when like someone the, just says your name? <laughs> Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's so, it's, I was thinking also, it's like when I'm in Gotham or in some comedy club. Yeah. It's like, and it's that dark room. And like, we're in the back with those other comedians. <laughs> it's like, that's my favorite place. You know, it's just like, hey, how are you? I don't want to interrupt this person's act. But good stuff. You know, like, that's the only place I like. You know, oh, me there. too. It's dark and quiet. You can't really talk. You have to whisper. You can't see people, really. It's, it's the best. But even when you're trying to leave that area, there's, because there's something strange about, and by the way, I don't mean this as an insult to Polly Shore, but I call it the Polly Shore effect, where whether someone likes someone or their their spot or not, like so you're walking out and you've done your set and there's someone from the audience, <laughs> there is this need for them to say something. <laughs> and often, you know, you would prefer they say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and they say something attempting to be kind of uh, generous or right. human. And they, you know, they just got to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm laughing because this happens all the time. <laughs> and they'll say something to you like, hey. You <laughs> yeah, know, it always starts with hey. Yeah. It's just this strange human interaction. <laughs> they'll be like, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. That's just, just those moments where you're just like, what am I doing? What is this? <laughs> I know. Like, and I feel like it's made so much worse by phones. They're like, should I get a picture with you? And you're like, but you don't want one. <laughs> They'll ask you if they should have get a picture with you. Yeah. 
What do you say? It depends on my mood. I sometimes mean... I'll say, I'll say, you don't need one. And sometimes <laughs> I'll say, I got to leave. And it's just strange. Sometimes they'll be like, you know, they'll tell you the most heartfelt story. You know what I mean? It's like, I escaped from Afghanistan. (laughs) (laughs) And I lived with my family in a car for 10 years. And uh, we had one CD, which was not your stand-up, but you remind me of that. And you're like, okay. (laughs) It was a bombing in Afghanistan. (laughs) Yeah, you bombing reminded me of, like, being in Afghanistan. You, you bombed <laughs> me of my whole family being killed in a bombing. Oh my, God, murdered. my grandmother's <laughs> dead carcass. Like when we had to leave home. Yeah, That's you, what your set reminded me of. Yeah, When you just murdered on stage, it reminded me of them shooting my sister in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, you must have heard. I mean, I've heard the craziest things. What's the worst experience you ever had? I mean, is there one? I've had. So, I don't. Need, I can't even make one the worst. But what's one of the worst experiences you've had on stage? Well, you know, you said something. It's like you block them out. Too. I did. It's I like, do. I don't think that like the human consciousness. We can't be aware. It's kind <laughs> of like dealing with the death of a loved one, you're like, I, well, I can't live in this moment forever. <laughs> I'm going to have to start thinking about daisies or something. Um, <laughs> daisies. That's such a great <laughs> word. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, there's been so many. I mean, I have mean, you been physically accosted? I have. There was one time, I don't know if you ever went to the Triple in. Yeah, that sounds familiar. The Triple N, which is this bar that I used to be able to get stage time, and it was they, it was this place where it was total, um, the best type of kind of misfit, yeah, and stagehands, and so like, uh, you know, just like people that would never get in Broadway shows singing, <laughs> and. <laughs> But like real, you know, like they couldn't yeah. get on. Uh, yeah. They couldn't get on at Dotel Mama. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, which is For essentially just to bring our show. That's a, you know yeah, I mean? that's a little cabaret <laughs> place in New York City. And and then stagehands who so so the stagehands are very familiar with the entertainment industry, but have such a deep seated after years of working <laughs> around us show people just resent us. Oh, yeah. And so I think I was on stage and doing stand-up, and um, and someone in the front row was drunk. Uh, he uh, was heckling me, and I lifted up my foot. I was like, you know, I could just kick you right now. And I lifted up my foot, <laughs> and he grabbed my foot, and he dragged me on the floor. <laughs> so it's like, but, like, I don't even And then <laughs> I don't, you know, it's that. like. Yeah, it's just like the, it's like, I never, I always have these images of these heroic things where I stand up for myself, but it usually ends up in just <laughs> embarrassment. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, well, first of all, I'm very afraid of my own anger. So I really am afraid I'll kill someone one day if they really attack me. But. Well, so you've been physically attacked on stage? I've had bottles thrown at me. I had, um, 
Yeah, two women from Sweden once got at Dangerfields got up out of the audience and like came up to me and started pushing me. It was insane. I had the microphone in my hand. Like I pictured getting into a huge fight. And then all the men, it's only men that work there and they wear these red suits. Yeah. And they all were standing laughing on the sides, yep. you know, with their oh, arms yeah. folded. And I said, I will never, ever perform here again. And I didn't. I was so. By the I mean, way, almost I had the same. I had the same experience at Dangerfield. Yeah, it's. I mean, not not the fight, but like it was, like you know, it's so interesting being this roving freelancer because stand-up comedy is so constructed on self-assignment, mm-hmm. and the, on the surface, Dangerfield is this incredible space. Meaning, like, if you're somebody who just likes stage time. It's like, and by the way, I haven't worked there in 20 years, I don't yeah. know, but like, but you can do a half hour. Yep. It was relatively stress-free, but like the, you just enter and the negativity is just profound. Oh, and yeah. you're like, you know what? I just want the stage time. Because also the audience knows they're getting ripped off too mm-hmm. at a certain point. So they get really angry. And then... Um, so it's just not conducive, but I totally got off stage there. And I remember one time there was people heckling me and I, and I dealt with them and then they made me pay for their bill. <laughs> and I'm this like, what? This is and so like, crazy. And they're like, yeah, they left. And I'm like, yeah, but you saw them leave. And they're like, yeah, well, you got to pay for their bill. And I was like, what? Isn't that incredible? And, yeah, I love when and, people like say, "Oh, com- you know, comedians are difficult, whatever." I mean, we're treated like shit, yeah. and that makes us very like we don't trust people. We we're defensive. I mean, we go through hell with this a lot. Well, you know, I feel as though there has been a, a shift. It's almost there, and and I don't know. I have no idea. But like. Like when I started, I don't know how long you've been knowing. When I started, years, I was yeah. literally, I felt like I was being, go, like you would literally have to go through, like Dangerfield is probably the worst case scenario, but mm-hmm. like there was a form of hazing that would occur. Yes, big like, time. And, and just like mean people, yep. you know what I mean? And like, and granted, there were people like when I started with Greg Duraldo who just had a gift for dealing with people, whereas... I think I just, they're like, go stand against the wall so we can be mean to you. And I'd be like, oh, is this what I have to do? Mm -hmm. Like, I just wasn't that bright. So there was this hazing that occurred. I feel as though it's it's disappeared. Like, some of, like, some of those those characters from back in the day are either they've reinvented themselves or they're out of the business. I think most I of them know. are out of the business, and I don't think you can get away with that kind of stuff today. You just can't. But we, I was hazed, too. It's, it's, it was really hard. But I feel like it made me a much better comic. Like, it hardened me so that yeah. when I dealt with other situations on the road or disappointments with, you know, different things I wanted, I didn't get. It just it wasn't as bad because I already went through yeah. other stuff in New York that was so hard. It was very well, you know, different. Weird. There are times when, like, I remember the first, very first time I did a spot at New York Comedy Club, I brought three friends, like mm-hmm. you're supposed to, 
they made them wait for three hours before I went on. And I kept kind of going in going, um, am I going on? And they're like, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, so, like, I remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're just totally scamming me. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, or, or they would just do it as a, they would just do it for their own amusement. Like, I remember doing a show at Stand Up New York. And this is right before, like, right, right when pre-shows would start. Mm-hmm. This is 20 years ago, at least. The show started at 7, but they wouldn't open the bar. The bartender who ran the show wouldn't open the, the restaurant until 7. So you would bring, yeah. you would go up there, and you would have to stand outside mm-hmm. until 7 for no reason at all. Just because the bartender didn't want to deal with comedians. And so you'd stand outside. I don't remember having guests at that one, but I remember like just going, I can't believe, like, I want this that bad. But, yeah. but I bring that up because it's like, then I encounter situations where, and like, you know, none of that stuff doesn't happen really anymore, but then I'll encounter similar like sim- situations mm-hmm. to that uh today and i'll just be like my intolerance for it is just so palpable like yeah. i remember there was this club that i used to you know like i get to go around and i usually call ahead and i'm like can i do a spot and they're like yeah and, and i'll uh, and i'll say what time and they'll tell me a time and i'll show up mm-hmm. and i'll do 10 to 15 minutes and so there was this one club that i used to go to in new york I called ahead, and I think I had dealt with some horrible shit. And uh, so then I went in, and I, I looked on, you know, very, you know, kind of like, ha, ha, hi, everyone, hi, everyone. And so I saw someone on stage, and there was a manager there who was kind of new. Again, this manager's not a dick, but, like, because of the experience I had, mm-hmm. I saw that someone was on stage who was not the MC. And which usually indicated that I would go next, but I can't be like I'm next. Yeah, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? I, Is this, was this was this like in the past five years or before that? Yes. yes. Okay, got it. And then another comic came in, like in the manager's defense. By the way, this this club used to have no manager, mm-hmm. and then it had a manager. So then this uh, other comic came in and goes, "I have to go on," and I was like, "Well, I'm just doing ten." Right. And the other comic described this time that he, he had to be somewhere. And so then the manager came up to me and said, I'm going to put Amy on for five. Mm-hmm. And I assumed he meant Amy Schumer. And I was like, all right, okay. What am I, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm you know, Amy Schumer. This is so, I so understand what's going on right now, but continue. It's, it's amazing. Okay. It's just amazing. And so then I said, oh, okay, Amy Schumer's going on. Fine. So, because it's hard for people that are not in the business to know, like... Of course. There's there's this thing of, like, if Chris Rock came in... It's if, respect, you know, yes. There's, like, these, these huge kind of moguls. Whether you agree with it or not, you just go, all right, they're a mogul. Right, but you're you know in there, I mean? too. You're in that yeah. group. But anyway, so, yeah, so what happened? And so... Amy goes on. It's not Amy Schumer. It's <laughs> it's some some woman named Amy. And 
she's relatively green. So I'm like, okay, I'm kind of annoyed. I called ahead. Right. I had been going off and on to this place, even with this manager for a couple months. And I'm like, all right. So then I sat down. I want to point out something before you go on. It's a huge help to the club. Huge, huge when you show up and do a spot because people might not understand how it works. But when you show up and do a spot, it gets around and then more people come to the club. I just want to say that. Right. It sounds, and that sounds like even you're being polite, but there is just kind of like people people want to say they saw someone that they saw on TV or Exactly. That's the reality. Yep. So then Amy's on, uh, (laughs) undistinguishable Amy, and (laughs) she's doing her set. And it like it's five minutes in, and I'm like, huh? And she's going on, oh. not not Amy's fault at all. And I go, I thought you said Amy was doing five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, No, she's doing like ten to fifteen. And I go, oh. Okay. So in my mind, I'm going, What like? And so then I saw the other comic mm-hmm. go and talk to the manager separately, and then the manager comes out and he goes. I'm going to need you to wait. That's for this not other okay. Comment. It's not okay. Yeah. And so like some of it is like, by the way, I have to, like, I was at Gotham not last night, the night before. And they were like, can this person go on before you? And I was like, yeah, fine. Do you want me to come here? He goes, uh, uh, all right. And, uh, and so then he just walked away. And so it's like, I'm already kind of like treating myself. That's how I describe it. Mm-hmm. And so then, he walks back in the room and I'm like, oh, fuck this. And, and mm-hmm. um, I see the comic uh, who uh, obviously had just gone to the manager and said, he's got a spot somewhere. Right. Say, you know, look at me. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know why. He, I don't know why I didn't say it loud or anything. I'm like, I don't know why I'm not on right now. Right. And, uh, and then the comic went in the other room, and I was like, all right, well, this is just a mess. I should just leave. So I get up to leave. And so I go in the waiting area. Uh, they're like, and so I see the comic talking to the, uh, the manager. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I, um, so I was walking out, and the comic was like, hey, Jim. And I go, no, 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 don't, don't give me a speech. Yeah. Uh, I go, this is this is bullshit. And the manager's like, well, there was some miscommunication. He has a spot. And I go, and I just said, fuck you. Yeah. go, fuck you. And I said to the comic, I go, fuck you. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, and I, this is, the point of this isn't Amy. The point of this is like, if Amy Schumer shows up to a comedy club, that's great for the comedy club. That's what I'm saying. The, I'm, I, that's my yeah. whole point. And when and you so show up, it's like, great for the club. Right. And so I was like, should I have to wait? Is waiting a half an hour difficult? Not at all. But if it's unnecessary Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like, you know, I'm like, I don't have to do this. You know what I mean? No, you can go up at any club anytime you want. You don't have to deal with that. And so I, uh, that's one of those where I was just like, and then it was a lot of fuck yous to a lot of people. Right. And I'm not proud of it, but it's like, and, you know, by the way, I, I'm kind of like, I consider myself, and, you know, I feel like I can say this to you and to all these strangers listening. If you've eaten shit, you know what it tastes like. Yeah. 
and you know that like there are certain times where you you know like in the future I will have to eat shit mm-hmm. and there's and it's like there's gonna be times when you have to and there's gonna be times when you just don't exactly you don't have to eat this there's no reason to subject yourself to this yeah and if anything subjecting yourself to it is the most unhealthy thing you can do I completely agree with you I, I can't even tell you how much the point is is that you've had to eat shit for 30 years and at a certain point you have to put yourself at the next level because a lot of people won't do it it's incredible you can be like have your career be so well known be so respected and then in one night just be completely you know just not respected and not that should have never happened it should not have yeah. and it doesn't happen you know it, it when you you're at that level when you walk into a club, especially you called beforehand. I mean, a lot of people just walk yeah. in and they yeah. still bump everybody and put that person on. The fact that you called up and told them you were coming and you have to wait for a new comic to go up and then someone who is not at your level. I'm sorry. That's how this business works. So, you know, like the other night, Chris Rock came and I my spot was bumped and I'm like, of course, it's Chris Rock. Like I would never complain about that. But from going through so much hell for so long, you have it, you, it's like you've had enough and you have to speak up for yourself. There's no yeah, reason why you should be disrespected. It's so amazing how it's also there. It's it's so strange in this business how in it's like it, it's and this goes back to like the meritocracy versus um, the entertainment thing. It's like. You will go on and destroy, and then someone who fits a, a brief flavor of the zeitgeist yeah. will go on and not be able to get through 10 minutes. Yeah. And you're just like, you watch that, and, and people have to understand, watching that, you sit there and you go, I don't want, I don't mean ill to anyone, but it is so profoundly unfair it is so unfair it is i can't it's also i think human beings like so much of the lesson of life is that human beings are bad at being human beings Mm -hmm. they're just not good at it you know and you're just like i can't believe like you know one of these things that sometimes i send my uh, manager of these texts and i'm like promise me that when this opportunity, it's usually some press thing. Mm-hmm. You'll let me say no to it. Because there's all these things that like are, um, uh, you know, kind of cool things that like are supposedly important. But like the fact that they've blown me off for like 20 years or blown me thing. off for yeah. 10 years. I just want to go. Then I'm never joining. But That's like, how I am. my manager will be like, "Look, you got to do this because it's like you know." You, you ever, and, and by the way, this isn't about the New Yorker, but like all the parents at my children's school, their knowledge of stand-up comedy is New York Magazine. So like, I can tell when like Louis was in New York yeah. Magazine, Sarah Silverman. All these people, because that's their reference point, Mm -hmm. because people are sheep and they're like, oh, Aziz Ansari is a good comedian. So then I have to talk to these people about this one blurb they read in New York Magazine. I know. And so, but like for me, it's kind of like, 
I want to like go. I I don't want to play that game. I don't want to like even participate in kind of, and it's it's absolute insanity because it's not like they're doing it to be malicious. They're just doing it because they're just you know they're on this zeitgeist train. Like I don't even know what the zeitgeist is, but I'm constantly trying to figure it out. Yeah. I understand because Comedy Central didn't pay attention to me for a really long time. And then Bill Burr said to them, I, the first person, you know, Jessica Kirsten is the person I want to produce her special. And now, like, they love me and they're all, and I'm like, oh, I had such right? an issue with them for so many years. They wouldn't even look at me. And- oh, by the way, by the way, I, Beyond the Pale, mm-hmm. which is my first hour special. Yeah, amazing. They, I did a Comedy Central present. And uh, I did it the same night as Greg Giraldo back in, like, 2000. Wow. And, again, this was the story of me and Greg. It's like everyone loved Greg. And he was a great guy. And he did, like, three or four Comedy Central presents. And I couldn't get a second one. Right. And I I would be like, hey, can I do another one? And they're like, we're we're not repeating people. And I'm like, no, in the back of my Well, you repeated Greg three times. Right. And so because of that, and, and I think this has something to do with you because of like the injustice of it is then when we get there, mm-hmm. it pops more. So like, it's like, it's because I hadn't gotten those comedy central presents by the time I did beyond the pale. I mean, I still, you know, it's like, then they're like, we always liked you. And I'm like, I know right. that's what happens. But every comedy club owners like that too. They're all the exact you know same I mean? way. Yep. We, we, we've we loved you forever. I always knew you'd be a star. You know, da, da, da. it's like, no, you didn't. You didn't even like my stand-up. You never booked yep. me. You did not get me. I'm very much like you. I never, ever, ever forget who's who helps me and who's there for me and who didn't didn't help me. You know, I, I never. It's some of it, it's, I think, I think, you know, being a comedian is like, it's constructed around authenticity and I'm not saying that like our standup has to perfectly represent our, our trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. But like if you're, if it's all constructed on authenticity or like our fears or our neuroses, why should we forget about that stuff? I mean, that's the game, right? right. But it's so weird. It's like these people that, meaning us that that aren't good with uh rejection or uh stuff like that then we're supposed to go into this business constructed on it it's like I it's know. so hard to not take it personally you can't i don't know who anyone who but the, i know people who take it way too personally and they've never gone anywhere they could, there's no way they'll ever move ahead cuz they take every single thing so personally so i really yeah. try to not go there um, because then I can't function. I can't keep doing it. So I've always been yeah. impressed with your business sense. I've oh, because you you got yourself to where you are, and it's not as you know, it's not just about being funny. Because you're brilliant, and you're so. I mean, you're literally. I, I, I since day one, I have laughed at you so hard. I just think you're incredible, and you have a good business sense because you can be really funny and not have that. So, yeah. I mean, what do you think you've done to, like, move ahead and get so far? I'm, I'm so curious about that because so many. Well, I think 
I went to a concert yesterday. My 10-year-old is in love with Billie Eilish. So I got tickets to Billie Eilish, like mm-hmm. the person that there's promoters that know promoters. And so right. I got backstage and I talked to Billie Eilish and wow. her brother who kind of does the music and she does the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And this kid who's, I don't know, he's probably in his early 20s. Finding that balance of listening to people and not listening to people. Mm-hmm is so tricky and kind of like, no, I like this. Cause normally as comedians, it's like, they're like, uh, don't, don't bring it up to the fact that we don't have entrees here. And you're like, fine, <laughs> I won't bring it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or comedians will be like entree, entree, entree. You know what I mean? Like there's all or nothing. Right. <laughs> but, and so maybe cause we're just like these victims of like this comedy world abuse. Yeah. Where we're kind of like, okay, all right, yeah, all right, I'll pretend to be your friend if I can get on. Mm-hmm. And so then when you get into another setting, there's these people that are like, okay, you got to do it like this. And you're like, hey, that's fine. I don't care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that my, the lesson I keep learning is you got to do it all yourself. So like the people that are like, even during the Jim Gaffigan show, it's like none of these people care. No, they don't. You know what I mean? I know that sounds really negative. They don't. But like, You're right. Like the network executives, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, so like they're just the comedy club manager that I knew 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so like you have to care. And there's also this thing in the uh, industry where you know, like I always imagine Larry David's probably the biggest pain in the ass, but he's a genius. Mm-hmm. There were probably people that are like, you know, like supposedly there was a third guy involved with Seinfeld, the TV show. And he was like, uh, these guys are a pain in the ass. I'm getting out. <laughs> it's like, he, you know what I mean? It's like, because Jerry and Larry David wanted the show to be good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like so much of it is, so I encounter it like with everything. Like, so like when you're doing promos for the comedy central thing, you know, the person that's writing them, they don't know you. They don't care. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to sit there and be like, this is how it's going to be funny. And then there's going to be some director who like, you know, is well intended, but they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They have no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so you're going to have to sit there and go do it like this. You know what I mean? Right. Let's do it like this. And they're going to be like, okay, uh, let me, I mean, I'm the director. I used to be a manager at Red Lobster. Can you uh, listen to me? And you're like, <laughs> so it's like some of it is just being a nudge. I totally agree. And I think it's also just keep you keep stroking them, like their ego. Like you still pretend like you need them, even though you don't. And you tell them, yeah. I mean, I know you know what you're doing, but it might. I'm really good at doing it like this. Like you, you have to still make them think they're completely in charge. Oh yeah, and give them so they control. Can take credit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. always admired that about you. Uh, I mean, I have a very good business sense too, and I'm very grateful for that because I have a lot of friends who have no idea how to deal with this business and move forward. And they struggle a lot. And they're really funny. But they just can't deal with the business. They can't deal with the people. It it is interesting how, like, some people can be so smart in their comedy. And then you're like, you know, you got to book things in advance. And they're like, do I? Do I? And you're like, yeah, you do. 
Right. It's like, but there's no, there's no um, class on how to do this. Nothing. There's no, you know, like you might hear quest, you know, hear advice, but you don't know. I mean, you've gotten so much shitty advice over the years. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and there's so many times you're on stage and then you come off stage and the owner or the booker's like, you know what you should do? You should wear clown shoes. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, in their defense, it almost makes sense to not listen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I always say like, I mean, I think it's the best to listen to people who have what you want. Like when Judy, go, when I was first starting, Judy was so incredible to me and she would give me advice about things. And I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to listen to her because she has, you know, she has a good career right now. It's like, yeah, and I would. But I feel like so many people want to give you advice and tell you what to do. And they, they're like working, you know, they're booking a pizzeria in Times Square. Yeah, yeah. You have to listen to people who who have what you want it's yeah yeah i mean i'm yeah. i'm and i have one other question before because we have to wrap up soon but i'm so curious and i'm sure you've talked about this a million times but what what made you go into more like clean comedy i it mean was, it's it's a, it's the smartest yeah. thing uh, it's great um, well, but it's like you know some of it, it you know this it's like you you start off doing stand-up and you're doing different kinds of things like mm-hmm. so and, and I see it even in your stand-up. Like, some of it, it's like you're always testing and seeing what you can say. You can see mm-hmm. how bi- uh, autobiographical you can be. You can see how political you can be. You yeah. can see uh, how edgy you can be. In the end, it's usually just how you're most funny around the people you love anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, it's the clean thing was just because I had been doing Conan, like, once a month wow. and because I was doing this thing pale force. And so I had to, I, I, I found myself needing to remove jokes that were filthy or I was removing curse words mm-hmm. and, and removing the curse words. I realized that some of the jokes weren't done. And then some of it was being able to follow myself in a longer set. Mm-hmm. So like if I had a joke that was, really funny like i had this joke about uh you know you go home and uh you do one thing and people never let you forget it like i go home and everyone's like welcome home donkey fucker you know what i mean and (laughs) that's funny but then after you've you know uh you know obviously exaggerated you know said that you're a donkey fucker how do you follow that so like i feel like that a lot i know exactly what you're talking about so then it's like not having bullets in your gun mm-hmm. that make the gun break. You know what I mean? Yep. But it is, it's strange because there is such a inherent, people project uh, uh, such a morality around it when I think that it's not as if I, like even when I'm trying out material, I might curse here and there, but mm-hmm. I even feel people like... It's like a little bit like, um, like, you know, some of it is like, I think, like I've had conversations, I was on a podcast recently and the other comedian cursed and they're like, oh, sorry. Like they oh, that's so me. interesting. Yeah, I would never I was be like, like that with you. Yeah. You know, I don't care about that. Like some of my favorite comedians are filthy. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
But I think comedians do what they do anyway. So it's strange. It's And by the way, there was a time when, when I don't know, it's weird. It's like to do press, like Larry King told me, you know, my old buddy Larry King. <laughs> no, Larry King told me that it used to, he used to ask comedians, why are you filthy? And now he goes, because it's so weird to ask you, why are you clean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I, I feel like there's part of me that's like, as a comedian, obviously it's interesting, but like when people put a morality behind it or... I don't at all with they, you. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just more probably of like a... It's so funny because you said the Conan thing. I was figuring it was a lot, that a lot of it had to do with TV. Um, yeah. And having to be clean on TV because I, I'm really working on that right now. I'm really trying to do more jokes that are clean because that's all you can do on late night. So I have to. Yeah. Yeah. There's no Well, it's choice. also like even in any situation when when you can't curse. I mean, obviously, Chris Rock can, you know, host the Oscars and not curse. It's just but some of it is it's I think it comes down to authenticity. Like him and Lewis Black are supposed to curse. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of their point of view. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm I don't feel like I have to curse, but I, a lot of times it, 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 it I'm going to be honest, it makes it easier for me sometimes. But I my goal is to be more to try and do a, a bunch, you know, more clean stuff now because I just think business-wise it really helps with it helps with corporate stuff, with colleges and you know, private events and me even me with Jewish gigs and with television, all kinds of things. You have to I have to be clean. I mean, there's no choice. And those are... Well, the- you know what? I think it's, I think it's almost like the, the, the clean thing. You know, you talk about corporate events. And uh, it's strange because I think that... I mean, this is a whole other ball of wax. I think that we are... And by the way, I talked to Judy about this. Judy was like been out for, you know, 30 years or whatever. And... Um, and and uh, and like she feels like I think that there's like the cursing thing is not even an issue. Like people don't care. Like the people that are upset about cursing is what one in ten thousand. And but there the people that are offended by like the general outrage about whether it's far left or far right. That's a much bigger pool. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? So yes. like, and I've never, by the way, I've never been someone that's had a problem with politically correctness, mm-hmm. uh, political correctness. Mm-hmm. But I do think that like when I was doing shows in Asia, like you go to China and you can't talk about Taiwan, Tibet or Tiananmen Square. And then you go to Thailand and they're like, you can't talk about the royal family, which mm-hmm. is weird because there's like billboards of the king everywhere. So yeah. it'd be easy. And then you go to Singapore and you can't chew gum, and it, which is weird, probably because I chew really? gum. Really? My mother and would then, be in hell there. All she does yeah, is chew gum. And then when I came back here, I realized that there is kind of this unofficial censorship going on. And I'm not talking about people that are like just mean to be mean, but mm-hmm. like as a comedian, we're not for any type of censorship. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like I can sit there and say that person's a jerk, mm-hmm. but like. When it comes to censorship, like, I, I find it fascinating in this day that we live in that people are focusing on cursing. I know. When there are certain 
times when you watch something and you're like, oh, I guess they couldn't do that punchline. Yeah. They can't do that punchline because the audience isn't going to groan. They're going to report. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. You can get in a lot of trouble now for stuff. It's insane. Yeah. It really is. I, I, um, Oh, Jim, I could talk to you for hours. I really can. And I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm naked and it's kind of cold in here. So I, yeah, I, I have totally to... get it. Are you still naked or did you? I'm still, I'm in a tub of jelly. I thought I was supposed to be in a tub of jelly. Oh my, that's so weird. Cause I'm in a tub of butter. Yeah. I had no... well, you know, it's... who has the toast? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I love you so. You know, this is the thing. I'm going to say this before before we get off. First of all, I, I'd love to have you back on at some point. I actually would like to have you on weekly. I know you're very. I know you have a lot of time, so it would be great if you could just come on my podcast every week. You got it. I respect you so much, and you said you said yes right away. You didn't even think about it twice, which made me feel so good. And I just have always respected you, not just because you're hysterical but because you work so hard and you're such a good business person and you're so friendly and loving and you have this family and you do so much I'm just I've always been impressed with you for many reasons not just stand up and I just really appreciate you doing this I really do I I love you and I've always thought I just always felt connected to you and I really really appreciate you doing my podcast hey it was my pleasure it seems like you take compliments well which is good it only took like 40 years, you know, but, <laughs> well, it's also, you appreciate it. You know, if it's, if it's a real compliment, you know right. what I mean? Then it's, it's also, I mean, I'm not saying if it's true. No, I'm saying like, if, you know, cause there's so much in this entertainment industry that like, like whenever someone says you've lost weight, I'm like, you're lying. Right. Exactly. You're like, I've gained 20 pounds, <laughs> but you're just saying that so that I do your show. Right. (laughs) But I love you, and I love Jeannie, and please send her my love. Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, And we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you so much.